James chapter 1. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. James 1, verse 16, this is God's holy word. He gives it to us, his people, for our good. Let us give our attention to its reading. James 1, verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last night we were having a lovely Christmas Eve and we're watching... Kids, some kids' Christmas programming on uh, the television, and there was a sort of a little vignette, a story, kind of in the Mickey Mouse realm of, of cartoons. And it, it posed this, this situation of um, little boys wishing for, to have Christmas every day. And uh, their, their wish is granted. Now, of course, as a, as a young child, and I remember thinking this myself, you, you love Christmas so much that you're, you're convinced that if it were every day, it would just be wonderful. And, and of course, as you've probably seen different movies that posit the same kind of idea, you live the same day over and over, and it very quickly devolves into uh, just almost an unbearable cycle of, of monotony. And uh, particularly with a day like today, where there is this, this sense of Feasting, which is good, and, and celebration, the, the, the kind of things of gift giving and gift receiving. If you're anything like me, at the end of Christmas, you're usually quite exhausted uh, because we, we can't sustain the, that pace of celebration and giving and receiving. So as, as much as children may convince themselves that they wish they could have Christmas every day, it, it's something that... Uh, we just can't do. And it's good that we can't do it. And uh, I was, we were quite starkly reminded of that last night after we watched that movie. Um, just shortly after that, we spent about the next uh, 10 hours up with the girls with the flu and the stomach flu. So uh, we really have a sense this year that we couldn't have Christmas every day and we don't want to have Christmas every day. I was, um, it was Augustine who speaking of the advent of Christ, and he said, uh, Awake mankind, for your sake God has become man. I was thinking about how my girls are really taking this to heart about 1 a.m., that they're staying awake on Christmas morning, that God has become man. And uh, I, in my own head, and sort of through all the, the fatigue and frustration, I, 
I made a, a Reformation cry as an answer to Augustine. Uh, if the Reformers would, were to say something that would have been fitting at uh, 2, 3 a.m. last night for me, it was this. Uh, rest, mankind. For your sake, Christ has done it all. Uh, but the, the girls were hesitant to, to embrace such a thing. So anyways, uh, Merry Christmas to all. Um, we can't sustain this pace of celebration. God gives good gifts every day, all the time, to his people without ceasing. Right? The legend of Santa Claus who can travel around the world and give gifts to every good girl and boy once a year. God is sovereign, he is good, he gives good gifts all of the time, and all of his gifts are perfect. We need to come to a better understanding of all of that, that we recognize his gifts and that we have the proper attitude and response to them. So let's think about that uh, together for just a few short moments on this Christmas morning. First is the, the nature of God the giver. The nature of God the giver. Secondly is the nature of his gifts. The nature of his gifts. And then lastly, the new nature of his people. Well, first, the nature of God the giver. First, he is in complete control of all human history. This is something that we we affirm, we confess, we believe, particularly as Reformed Christians, we take great joy and rest and comfort in the sovereignty of God. And we we certainly do believe it, and it's almost second nature to us, but do we often enough uh, take stock in his absolute sovereignty and think about what it means for our lives? Not only the circumstances in our lives, but what our attitude and response should be to the absolute sovereignty of God. John chapter 3, after Jesus speaks with Nicodemus, we read John the Baptist saying this, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. That's a foundational truth that we ought to recognize as Bible-believing Christians. All that we have comes from God. The doxologies of the New Testament epistles often sound this very same way. Romans chapter 11 verse 36 Paul says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. All creation was made to glorify God, our triune God, and it glorifies him because it all comes from him. Everything is sustained through him and everything will come back to his glory, particularly on the last day. God will show all creatures that everything that has happened has been to serve his ultimate glory. Isaiah chapter 40 is another one of these passages that wonderfully lays out the absolute sovereignty of God and how we are to recognize that as his creatures. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Isaiah, in other words, is saying, you need to get this. You should already know this. This is not new news to you, or it ought not to be. And it says, it is he, it is God, who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. He's in complete control of all human history. He is absolutely sovereign. One of the great 
things that we rejoice in, though, is that alongside that is he is also good. He is a good God. He is good. When circumstances enter our lives that we do not like, we don't appreciate, uh, that we didn't ask for, perhaps things that are as bad as we wouldn't even wish upon our enemies, we tend to question God's goodness. And, And sometimes, in fact, not only do we say, is God good, but we, we say things like, I don't understand how this could have come from God. Maybe this, maybe this didn't actually come from God, but we question God's goodness. But of course, the scriptures put in front of us again and again and again that God is good. One of the main things that we need to understand about his goodness is that we can't see all of the strands that he's pulling together in our lives and the lives of everyone. But he tells us he is good, and he commands us to believe and rest and trust in in that word. Psalm 100, verse 5 says, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Notice that his goodness there seems to be primarily tied to the fact that he doesn't change. Because a good God must be good all of the time. Maybe you can think of someone in your life that you remember years and years and years ago, you would have described as a a good person. And then, lo and behold, the years go by, changes take place, and now all of a sudden, they're different. We, as human beings, change, but God remains the same. God's goodness can only be trusted if he does not change. And because he does not change, we must trust him. So this is a God who is absolutely sovereign. All things come from him. He is good. He never changes. What does this produce in us? This produces in us a heart of worship and trust. We ought to worship this God. We ought to be in awe of him. We ought to stand in awe of him. And we ought to trust him. Numbers chapter 23. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? He's fulfilling all of his purposes. And he never changes. Because of that, uh, we ought to worship and trust this God. Secondly, the nature of his gifts. The nature of his gifts. James, under the inspiration of the Spirit, tells us that God's goodness is seen in what he gives to us. If all things come from him, then we need to take stock in that and recognize the things in our life that God gives. What are good and perfect gifts? Well, this is, the, this is where this passage really becomes a big challenge to us. What are good and perfect gifts? Well, everything that comes from him. So first, things that we tend to consider good. Oftentimes, we think about this passage uh, relative to the good things that God gives to his creation whether it's to his people specifically or to all people in general. There are many, many things that all people on this earth enjoy, that all people are recipients of God's goodness and his grace in some sense, we call it common grace, that he allows people to experience and have in this world which sinful people do not deserve. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. The sun rises in the morning uh, and shines its warmth and really the the goodness of God upon people. 
Think of the many things in society and culture that have been developed that are good things. The ability to have medical care, the ability to uh, enjoy community, the ability to enjoy food and celebration uh, with those around us. These are God's common gifts, things that we would look at and we say these are good things. There are many things that he gives to his people that we say this is a wonderful gift of God. He so often shows this specific faithfulness and desire, this delight to bless his people and to give them abundant blessings and to show his faithfulness to them. We, we look at all of these things and we say these are good things. And it's easy to recognize them as good gifts, as perfect gifts. But if all things that God gives to us are good and perfect, then oftentimes things that we consider bad fall under this category of good and perfect gifts. For those who are God's children who trust in Jesus for salvation and those who live to serve him, they can rest in the ultimate promise that all things are working for our good and his glory, right? If there's any verse that you ought to put to memory in the Christian life, it's Romans 8, 28, that he makes all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. All things God is working out for our good and for his glory, So at the beginning of this passage, James says, do not be deceived. And then he lays out this theology of God's gifts, the gifts that he gives to us, which are good and perfect. And the reason he says that is because the context of James 1 is trials. It's suffering. And he's saying, don't be deceived. You still need to understand that all that God gives to you in your life is from him. And all that he gives to you is good and It's perfect. Don't be deceived into thinking that things that come into your life fall outside of the will of God. Don't be deceived into thinking that God is somehow not good because something comes into your life or that something did not come from him. Everything that comes from God is good and perfect because it's all part of his ultimate will that works for our good and for his glory. This, if we can grasp this doctrine, it will fundamentally change our perspective on all of our circumstances. Fundamentally change the way that we think about all that God brings into our lives. What would it look like for someone to live utterly convinced of this truth? It would be someone who trusts God in all things and gives him all the glory in all things. So everything that you have in your life, in this sense, in the James 1 sense, is perfect. And it's good. Because it's what God has specifically ordained in your life at this time to bring about your greatest good to those who love Christ and have faith in Christ and are living to serve him, to bring about your greatest good and his greatest glory. His gifts are good and perfect. And James really is just repeating himself there to emphasize it. A good gift is a perfect gift. So, in your own life, think about this, that uh, think about your family members, right? Your spouse is perfect, right? So, at some point today, go to your spouse and say, I am the perfect husband or the perfect wife. 
Uh, Your children, your, your children are difficult. They are perfect because God has ordained them to be in your life at this time to bring about the best result of your good and his glory. So I have, I don't know if you knew this, I have perfect children. You have perfect children in this James 1 sense. Of course, we know there's all kinds of ways that our family members or children are not perfect. But it helps us to see the things that are the things that come into our lives are perfect because they're from God and he has willed it and because he has willed it we know that it is right your trials the trials of your life are good and perfect because they help to bring about the best result of your good and God's glory so at thanksgiving i told you that you ought to be thankful for your trials Now on Christmas, I'm telling you that your trials are perfect and that they're good gifts from God. So if you don't run me out after this, you never will, right? It's good and perfect because it's from God. Trusting in this truth uh, and seeing all of God's gifts as good, what does it do? It wages war against things like envy and coveting. we, We covet things that we don't have, and when we do that, what are we doing? We're essentially saying, God, you got it wrong somehow. And envy is even more insidious and more sinful than coveting because envying not only says, I want what I don't have, but it looks to what someone else has and it says, I want you to not have that. If I can't have it, then I don't want you to have it. But if we're resting in all, of that, in all that God gives to us, And saying, where he has you in life is exactly what he wants you to have. Then it works against sins like covetousness and envying. When we see that God has us in his perfect place, exactly where he wants us. Then we never doubt the goodness of of what he has both given and withheld from us. It was good that God withheld that thing from you that you desired. It was good. Because it was part of his will. This also shows us the necessity of of walking with the Lord in faith and obedience in all times. So that we can say truly when these these difficult trials come upon us. That uh, we can respond by the grace of God uh, to this reality of his goodness. Oftentimes we walk in disobedience and he'll bring challenging trials to us in order to woo us back. For his rod and staff comfort us. Finally then, uh, the nature of God the giver, the nature of his gifts, the new nature of those who receive and recognize his gifts, the new nature of his people. What is our primary experience of God's goodness? It's Jesus Christ, the reality of Jesus Christ, and the new birth that he gives to us by his grace and through his gospel in Jesus Christ. The new birth in Jesus Christ, he brought us forth by the word of truth. The new birth in Christ is the best gift that God could give. Nothing that compares to it. And nothing that compares to it. As we read in in Matthew chapter 2 and as we sang angels from the the realms of glory, Jesus is the desire of the nations. As we read with the the magi coming from the east, that there is this, this sense in which Matthew is telling us that 
all of the longing of every human heart on this world, on this earth, will only be satisfied in the Christ child, will only be satisfied in the God-man. That is where satisfaction begins and ends for humanity. This is the greatest gift that God ever could give to us. And it shows that each and every soul can only be brought to satisfaction in Christ. Augustine, once again, he he said that after God gave his son and the spirit, there was truly nothing left for him to give. There was truly nothing left for him to give. And that's true. For all things come to us in Christ and by the power of the spirit. So the, the best gift that we could receive from God is this gift of the new birth in Christ through the gospel that he has brought us forth to be first fruits. The guide for our new nature is the word of truth. He brought us forth by the word of truth. If we are brought forth by the word of truth, then we must uh, find our identity primarily in trusting this word of truth. We ought to take delight in a passage like Psalm 119 that's constantly showing us the, the path of righteousness as it is anchored in God's word and God's truth. Psalm 119 verse 43, take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. If he brings us forth by the word of truth, then we must love the word of truth. We must trust the word of truth. We must allow this word to shape us as God speaks through it. So the call upon us then as first fruits, what are some things that show that we are first fruits of God's work, that show that we're understanding this, this truth, this reality of God, the perfect giver? Well, we started by saying God never changes. So if we are his people who have been brought forth by the word of truth, who have been cleansed in Christ, who have been made new uh, by the gospel of grace, if God never changes, then as his people, we should seek to have a consistency of character and virtue. What should God's people look like in the world? To have consistency of character and virtue. That that ought to be one thing that that marks us out and marks God's work in our lives. There's a consistency of character and virtue. We're never going to be perfect in these ways. I heard one uh, pastor put it this way the last couple weeks, which is quite convicting for me. He said, who you are at home is who you are. How easy it is to put on a face and uh, to have sort of a projection of goodness and faithfulness when we're out and about. But who you are at home is who you are. What is God doing in your heart and bringing about the righteousness of sanctification? Are we trusting him to do so? And are we seeking to honor him the way that we live our lives in all situations and in all contexts? So God never changes. Through his grace, we should seek consistency of character and virtue. God gives good gifts. That's sort of the central idea of this passage. God gives good gifts. So we should give good gifts. Those who have been 
given this vision of the reality of who God is in Christ, this generous giver, it ought to make us generous givers as well. And we ought to seek a quality of gifts that lasts, right? Sometimes I feel guilty as a a father of young children that I'm sort of giving my children trinkets. These are they're useless things that, that are, are, they give them great joy for the moment, but of course, ultimately, what are they? As God's people, are we seeking to shower our brothers and sisters with good gifts, things that last, encouragement, exhortation, bringing our attention back to the word of God, being a friend and a close friend or brother or sister when that is particularly what is needed? Are we seeking to give good gifts, gifts that last to those around us? Deuteronomy chapter 29, the secret things belong uh, to our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Are we taking those revealed things and sharing them with one another? As we have an outward face to a world that's lost in sin and death, are we seeking ways to bring the love and the light of Jesus Christ as a good gift? And with what people need and truly need. If God is, and then lastly, if God is truth, we ought to be truthful. If God gives his good gifts and showers us with this word of truth, we ought to be truthful people. So God never changes. We should seek a consistency of character. God gives good gifts. We ought to give good and wonderful and lasting gifts by his grace. And lastly, if God is truth, we must be people of the truth. We must be truthful. He's called us forth. He's remade us in Christ that we should be a first fruit, something that he puts on display in the world. Be convinced and know that all that comes from his hand is good, even when it's difficult to trust in that very reality. Because of that, let it push against your tendency to covet Or to envy. This time of year, oftentimes we get so bogged down with a materialism or a desire for things. And some of those things can be good. But are we uh, centered around what is truly good? The good gifts of God. And then, uh, if God is truthful, we must be people of the truth as well. And pray that your Christmas is wonderful. Pray that you enjoy your time with family and friends. You give God all the glory, and may he teach us from this passage what he would have us know and live by. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. We ask that you would be pleased to to nourish us from these words and this truth. We give you all of the glory. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. Thank you that he is the ultimate good gift and that when you gave him and gave the Spirit, there was truly nothing left for you to give. We thank you for being such a wonderful giver and we pray that uh, you would lead us on to be uh, these first fruits that you have brought forth. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, sing number 226.